Going. It is a Tuesday, December 19th. Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, and we got a busy hour ahead on Flames Talk. And uh, let's kick this hour of Flames Talk off by saying hello to our NHL insider. It's time to check in with Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. He joins us. Down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now. Mr. Saravalli, how are you today? How are we doing on this Tuesday before Christmas? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Um, you know, I actually... I'm excited for Christmas. Are you Are you excited for Christmas or are you more excited for the holiday roster freeze? Well, that's like the inside... That's the beginning of the insider holidays. So that... <laughs> yeah. uh, you can kind of... You know, you can never really put your phone down, but you can at least know that there's not a trade or transaction coming. Yeah, which is good. It must be, at the very least, it must bring the heart rate and the stress levels down temporarily. So I'm happy for that for you. Um, you know, I mean, as large as I am, I don't know that the heart rate is ever really coming down. So it's mean, and I I do not care to uh, I do not care to agree or pile on, um, especially because the holiday season. You know, earlier this month. So I know, I really am. Earlier this month, and we haven't talked about it yet because there's been a lot of stuff going on around the league, but it was, I believe, December 2nd that you put out your first trade targets of the 23-24 season, which you do on a regular basis throughout the season over at Daily Faceoff. And and your number one target on top of that trade targets list was Flames forward Elias Lindholm. And ever since the Colorado Avalanche made that deal to move out Tomas Tatar and his salary and sent him to the Seattle Kraken, there's been a lot of people outside insiders buzz everywhere just automatically linking Lindholm and the Colorado Avalanche I'm just curious if you're hearing anything on on that being a possibility or what your feel is on that potential link well I think there's definitely a possibility I don't think there's anything really even close to the likely stage I would say that the Avs are one of the teams on the list that have checked in with the Calgary Flames about Lindholm. I think everyone was connecting the dot saying, hey, look, they have exactly the requisite cap space to bring in Lindholm. And yeah, they also have a need at center that they haven't really filled these last two seasons. And he'd be a great fit, almost an ideal fit. But to this point, I don't have any indication that the Colorado Avalanche are any more serious than any other team that's contacted the Flames about Lindholm's availability. The uh, you're right, like the the just the and I'm, there's probably four or five other teams that would be tailor made fits as well. But that fit with Colorado from a, a player in need perspective, you're right. That that seems like a match made in heaven. And now to have the cap space, I mean that's a huge part of the the equation. You don't have to bring in a third party. You don't even need to have the flames retain. Like it'd be a a match made in heaven in that sense. um, Pretty much all the way around. 
I think the big thing is, and I think the Flames are left wondering what what really is Lindholm's market value. Mm-hmm. Like we know what he'd probably bring in on the free agent market in terms of uh, cap hit or something in that relative neighborhood. But I don't think we've really seen a full trade that doesn't involve retention. What what that would look like on the on the trade market? Yeah. What what's your feel on whether or not the ship is sailed on Lindholm and the Flames agreeing to something? Like, is that ship already out to sea? Is that door still open? What's your feel on on an extension still with the Flames being a possibility? I'd say it's cracked ajar. It's not slammed shut. It's not closed. It's not locked. But it certainly feels like it's mostly out to sea, I guess is the best way to explain it. Maybe still within view. Um, So I, I don't think it's likely by any stretch. And I think sort of with where the flames are at, it's... It's almost been frustrating, like I'm sure from a fan perspective, but I'm sure it's been frustrating from a, a management and coaching perspective as well. Like anytime you think they make progress, they have a loss that kind of brings them back to earth. There's it's like fits and starts, win two, lose one, you know, lose three, win four. Like that's sort of how it's been this year that, you know, as as well as they might look or, or look to be playing for a stretch of 10 days at a time. There's also not really any ground that's been made up in the standings. And that part, part of it's just the math of how the NHL works. Part of it is you really need an eight game, 10 game winning streak to really put yourself in a solid position. And it's hard to win 10% of the season at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so few teams can do it. And I think that's kind of the spot that the Flames are in. You know, you asked the question about market value. I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, if what your read is on what a market value would look like on the trade market for Lindholm and also what the market value might look like based on his season in terms of a contract, whether it's still in Calgary or, or elsewhere with a team after a trade or in the summer in free agency. Well, I think with his production this year or relative lack of production compared to some other years, which by the way, if you look at, at Lindholm's career history, like that's the one really intriguing thing is he's never really been consistently at the 40 goal, 35 goal and 80 point level. It's kind of all over the map. It's up, down, it's sideways. It's, it's all over the place. And I think when I looked a few days ago last time and I could do it quickly, he was on track for 53 points or 55 points, something like that. Um, I, I think there's no doubt that his, you know, the, the two way component and complete nature of his game is important, but players in this league are, are paid based on production. Yep. And my guess is since you're talking all UFA years, since you're talking a deal that extends out for a period of time, um, it's all dependent on term, but I'd say that he, you know, he's definitely not in the $9 million window that he might've been looking at before the season started. Um, I think he's in the high sevens right now, seven, seven, five to eight and a quarter, depending on how, how long that term is. Is, is he a guy like, can the flames get a first rounder plus for him in a trade? Do you think? Yes. Yeah. 
without without doubt, without blinking. And that's kind of that's kind of how that has to be there. You know, that needs to be their baseline. I think there's no doubt about it. So uh, I'm curious. I'm curious how this story evolves is uh, what we're two and a half months now from the trade deadline on March 8th, which gives a, a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid window for when the Flames can get this done. By the way, those trade targets also, if you haven't seen it, Frank's column, it was from earlier this month. Uh, number three was Chris Tanev. Number five was Noah Hannafin on that trade target list for the Flames. Would that would that still be how you'd rank them 17 days later? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I know that's kind of, that, that's, that's a loaded question because you have to think about who else is on the list and all that type of stuff. But you know, Zadorov's off the list. So I guess, uh, I guess there'd be a, cause he was in the top five as well. So I guess that would move a couple of players up, but they'd still be near the top of your board. Yeah. I mean, the biggest part for me was wrestling with which, Flames piece was more attractive. And I think a lot of people were wrapped up in the idea of, of what a Noah Hannafin return might be. And I think the easiest way for me to answer the question was which guy ends up getting more on the free agent market. And I still think apples to apples, term to term, the edge goes slightly to Lindholm rather than Hannafin. Okay. Regardless of whether the Flames are involved, do you, do you agree or disagree with that? Um, Lind, how I would say just because of the position, I think I still lean Lindholm because, as you said, even in your article, how often does a potential number one center pop onto the trade market? Whether you're looking for a rental or whether you're looking for a future core piece, those guys don't come along very often. And even if Lindholm isn't the number one center productivity wise, just the overall minutes he can play and, and the two way game and the importance of what he brings to a team. I think I still lean slightly that way, which is not taking anything away from what they could get for Hannafin. I just think the value leans slightly towards Lindholm as well. Cause that, those guys just don't pop up very often. Yeah. that's kind of where I came out in the analysis was it, it's not so much like I don't think anyone is confusing Noah Hannafin and not disparaging him. Like no one's saying that Hannafin's a number one defenseman. I think he's a really competent too. But if you're having the conversation between number one defenseman and, and number one center, um, Lindholm on the scale is much closer to number one as a center than Hannafin is mm. number one as a defenseman. Does that make does that make any yep. sense when I say that? Yep, I, I agree with that. And, and I think that's uh, I also think that's very fair. And and the other thing is, you you and this is not to say that doesn't make Hannafin valuable, but you know we're not that far off from Jacob Chikrin being available in the market, and it feels like a defenseman like Hannafin, while it doesn't happen every year, it feels like maybe they become available via trade a little bit more than that center iceman does. So that also plays into it. Just the the actual rarity of having a guy like Lindholm who could be available for a team, and again. I think there would be teams from a Colorado standpoint. Um, if they were to acquire him, it wouldn't surprise me if Joe Sackick looks at that as just a pure rental to try to win a Stanley Cup because of their cap implications going forward and some of the things they've got to do. But even a team looking at bringing Lindholm in as a rental, I think is going to pay a significant price to do that. I think that's the real sweet spot is especially if you're a team like Colorado that 
there's limited cap dollars to go around. You're not sure what your roster looks like next season with players coming back from injury. This year in particular, with Lindholm having such a cheap cap hit, that I think it's it's such an advantage to maybe just go, how much more is it going to cost you? I, I, don't, I think it just makes sense. He'd, he'd be the best player available relative to, to cost to add to your team that could be a real difference maker. Is Colorado's gearing up for something, whether the Flames are involved or not. The Avalanche are gearing up for some sort of addition between now and the deadline, right? I would I would bet on it, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Frank Saravalli is with us. He is our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. Lots of buzz about the goaltending market around the league as well. And and seems as soon as Antiranta went on waivers, uh, th- there was this buzz about, okay, watch out. The goaltending market is going to start percolating. Are, are, are we anticipating some significant goalie movement here over the next little while? I would say, you know, before the freeze, probably pretty unlikely. I mean, we're six to, depending on where you live, since it's local time, eight hours away, 10 hours away from the freeze setting in, uh, probably pretty unlikely. Uh, I think part of that's overplayed. Like people are just looking at the injuries and saying, hey, um, does Detroit suddenly need a goalie? And the answer is probably not because they've been carrying three all year prior to the injuries to Huso and Lyon. Um, the Kings also dealing with an injury, um, you know, to Phoenix Copley and I'm not entirely sure how much they trust David Riddick. And that part, um, is probably to them knowing that they need to spell Cam Talbot at some point to, to go to their next guy for a stretch of time that probably sticks out to them as a, a point of interest. Um, I think the Canes, for as bad as their goaltending has been, 32nd in the league, um, they're they're hoping that they can just ride this out because Frederick Anderson is pretty close to ramping up his skating. He's been medically cleared to play after those blood clots. Yep. So Anderson is on his way back at some point. Um, Pyotr Kochetkov, who signed a four-year, $8 million deal, um, last year he's actually played better in his last two to three outings and so they're hoping between Kochetkov playing better Yanov Peretz who won a national championship in the NCAA with uh, Quinnipiac as the backup Ranta in the AHL trying to find his game because he didn't want to go out with an 852 save percentage for his career and Anderson on his way back that those four pieces right there will be enough to sort of tide them through for a team that in spite of their 32nd place goaltending is in a playoff spot in the East. And of course, whenever you talk goaltending, the question becomes how, how did the flames maybe factor into these conversations? How, how do you see the flames factoring Mm -hmm. into whatever happens goaltending wise around the league? I think they're keeping a close eye on it. I think on the list of available pieces, um, Dan Vladar is certainly somewhere on that list. I don't know how high he ranks for certain teams. I think some teams really view him as a potential, um, you know, 1B sort of in line with where he was trending last year in a 1A, 1B combo. I think some have looked at his numbers, uh, you know, of late over the last couple months and said, ah, I don't know how much of an upgrade he really is. And then I think the Flames perspective of it is 
what can we get for him? Um, and that part I think has been important. Um, they obviously with Dustin Wolf coming, they understand that um, they need to create room at some point, but it's not, you don't have to go back very far to think of a time when Dan Vladar was looked at as a future starter in this league. And mm-hmm. that's where the flames are at. Like, Hey, we're, we're handing you a, a one B type goalie right now. Um, especially with a change of scenery, what might that do for him that I think they, they're at, they would be asking for a pretty significant piece in, in like a second round pick in return. I think that's where their thought process is at. Okay. A few more with Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff or NHL Insider. Uh, Monday, another big move made in Ottawa, a team that has already made a general manager change this season. And now what felt was kind of inevitable was a coaching change. DJ Smith gone. They've replaced him with Jacques Martin on an interim basis. How how did we get to this point with the Senators, Frank, that you know, not even halfway through this season, they've said goodbye to both their general manager and now their head coach? By the way, I always forget that you are uh, bilingual, so your, your pronunciation is always so crisp. I try uh, so to. Good anyway. on you for that. I try to. Uh, yep. Um, it, it's certainly been chaotic in the nation's capital. I mean, there's no doubt about that. When you look at this year and how it's unfolded, it, I, it's just so incredibly disappointing for a team that, to me has so many of the foundational pieces in place. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them take off. I think the hard part is, is it too late? I mean, had they done this five weeks ago and hindsight of course is always 2020, but I think it's fair to ask the question since the question was being asked then they had a 40 plus percent chance to make the playoffs still. And now as time has gone on, as games have been played, the hole has been dug deeper in the Atlantic division. They're down to 11%. Hmm. And that's a tough hole to climb out of. It just, the math is so far against you now, as you get close to Christmas to really turn things around. Just let me give you some perspective because people have asked. So what was the percentage chance that the St. Louis blues would make the playoffs in January when they fired their coach and were in dead last in the entire league. And they went on to win the Stanley cup in 2019 with Craig Berube. Mm -hmm. The answer is double where the Sens are now. They had a 22% chance that day. So it just kind of goes to show you that the, the Sens are really in a tough spot. And I also, I'd be real curious to see how the Sens players react to Jacques Martin because it's been a long time since he's been behind an NHL bench. It's been a decade plus since he's been an NHL head coach. That's a long time. He's also instantly the oldest coach in the league. This isn't ageism when I say it. It's just that the game has changed so much. He'll bring defensive approach and attention to detail. I just wonder how long his run will be in the sense of when will the Sens kick it into gear to get someone of a more permanent replacement behind the bench? Is uh, your read that they probably don't make a full-time GM and head coach hire until this season's over? Or is, is, is there a potential that happens before the end of this regular season? I would say let's get through the holidays and see how they play. And then I'll be able to better okay. answer your question on the GM front. 
I don't think they're really antsy at all. I think Steve Steos is more than comfortable, you know, handling both roles for right now. It's not a forever thing because Michael Anlauer, their owner, recently reiterated that he likes the idea of a two-headed monster at the top of an organization with a president of hockey ops and GM. He said that as recently as the board of governors uh, two weeks ago in Seattle. So that's their plan. Um, But when it comes to a coach, like I think you get through the holidays, you sort of allow whoever your candidate might be some time to spend with his family. And then on the other side of it, I think you, you have to come out guns blazing and try and put the right person in place certainly before the season is over, because at the very least, if you're not going to be able to challenge for a playoff spot, what you want to do is be able to get everyone comfortable with the the next head coach and what that voice is. You saw how valuable, even though the flames were out of it when they brought Daryl Sutter back Yep. because everyone came to camp the next fall, like really, you know, engaged and ready to go. We know how it ended of course, but that's, that's was like textbook of why you make the coaching change when you do. Uh, and finally, um, maybe just uh, Cole's notes or a Reader's Digest. I, I think it's of interest in this market. Uh, Yusuf Alamaki, a, a former first-round pick of the Flames. What uh, what the heck happened? Why is the NHL and NHLPA still investigating something that happened earlier this month? Uh, give us the uh, give us the rundown on that one. It's uh, somewhat fascinating. This is a pretty explosive story. It ended up being one of the most clicked-on stories on DailyFaceOff.com in 2023, which... I really appreciate um, the the like simple way to, to boil it down and explain what happened is you took a 93 mile an hour puck to the face in Dallas on November 14th. So a little more than a month ago, immediately he was transported to the hospital. Stars doctors couldn't help him. Most teams don't travel with their own physician. And he sort of got dropped off at the ER lobby and it was like, all right, good luck. You're on your own kid. And thankfully for him, his, his wife was there, just happened to be at the road game in Dallas. Um, the coyotes left someone behind to help uh, advocate for his care, but he lingered in the ER for hours before someone was even able to clean it. Um, let alone, um, you know, provide the proper care to give him 55 stitches and, and then um, whatever else just to allow him to be able to get some sleep. Um, why is that important? Well, for one, the hospital was so busy and overrun that they were, you know, they, they triage appropriately. And in this case, um, like I get that there's different orders of priority and and I'm not questioning and NHL players in the NHL aren't questioning how that works. Right. Uh, the big thing is, you know, when you're dealing with someone that has a severe facial injury, there was actually so much internal bleeding with Valamaki in his mouth that doctors told him later that had he gone back to the hotel and just tried to sleep it off as the hospital originally told him to do because they were so busy that um, he, he there was a chance that he could have asphyxiated on his own blood um, while sleeping. So it's sort of worst case, you know, sort of makes the hair on the back of your head, you know, sort of stand up and think about what that might have been like. Um, but it, the big question that NHL players are asking, it's not, Hey, we deserve treatment over the general public. It's more so what's the proper way to do this? Because last time we checked NFL players, NBA players, major league baseball players, they're not getting dropped off at the ER in the lobby saying, Hey, fend for yourself. 
um, there's certainly more help there. And NHL players want to be treated like their counterparts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, a really interesting read over at Daily Faceoff as well on that front. Um, as we uh, as we wrap up our final chat before the uh, the holiday freeze and the holiday season, what uh, what does the Saravali household look like uh, around Christmas? Just pure mayhem. I feel <laughs> like we're already the kids still have two days of school left, and I think they're already pretty jacked up and excited. Um, there's a lot going on, family, friends, uh, you know, getting everything in order. So I'm sure not all that different than anyone else, but um, we're really excited. We have a, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, so they're That's awesome. definitely right in the heart of it all. Enjoy it, hey. Uh, we'll talk to you after Christmas. Thank you, as always, Frank. Great stuff. Sounds good. Talk to you. Uh, are we back next week, Tuesday? Are we, you, you working uh, that day? What day is Tuesday? Is Tuesday Boxing Day? Um, so boxing maybe, Day? Yeah, we'd be back uh, if if you're uh, if you're available on Wednesday. We can hit it on Wednesday. All right, we'll see. All right, yeah, and feel free to tell me to beat it as always in in your very unique and friendly way. I might. <laughs> I, I won't be offended. Uh, Merry Christmas, pal. Thank you as see always. You, Pat. Thank you. Have a great holiday. Uh, that's Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. Joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk, and he joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Enjoying the game at home? Call for pickup or delivery at 403-248-3344. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, big picture and little picture on the Daily Flames roundtable on this Tuesday. First of all, let's say hello to Aaron Vickers of NHL.com with us for the rest of the hour. Hi, Vic. Hello, Patrick. Uh, My name is Pat Steinberg, and now we say hello to Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames as well. It's time for your Daily Flames roundtable for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. So I was actually thinking about this as our uh, Flamestock postgame show was rolling on on Monday following a Flames 3-1 win over the Florida Panthers. Obviously, we really liked their effort Saturday against Tampa Bay. We thought they battled really hard, and and despite not maybe being exactly where they wanted to be throughout that entire 60 minutes against the Panthers, they battled hard, they stuck with it, uh, they got great goaltending, and they won that game in regulation as well. And, you know, Wilsey, you were talking about postgame, moving back within X amount of points of a playoff spot, and... It just, it got me thinking, and, you know, we've had conversations on the Francis Hour. We've had conversations on this roundtable. We've had conversations on the postgame show about, you know, we all believed going into this season that this was a group that could be beyond competitive for a playoff spot and, and should be in that conversation. And now, here we are, approaching the midway mark, approaching the Christmas break, approaching the calendar year of 2024, and all those pending UFAs that started the season outside of Nikita Zadorov are still unsigned. And there's a conversation. Wilsey, re- refresh my memory. I think this was 
probably about a month ago we had this conversation and and I brought this up kind of off the cuff and we talked a little bit about it. And now the Flames are still in the mix and and they've played some pretty decent hockey despite not always getting the results here over the last number of months. So my big picture question is this. As they make these decisions with their pending unrestricted free agents, I'm just curious how comparable the 2023 trade deadline approach from the Nashville Predators could be for the Flames. What the Predators did was they traded away a lot of guys they weren't going forward with. Matthias Ekholm to Edmonton. Mikhail Granlin got traded. Nino Niederreiter went to Winnipeg. Opened the door for some more young players. They stayed competitive and were playoff in the playoff mix right to the very end. They made a few savvy offseason moves. They went out and they got uh, Ryan O'Reilly. They brought in Gustav Nyquist. And here they are. They're back in the playoffs right now, fairly comfortably holding down the number one wild card and right in the mix in the Central Division as well. Just knowing that, how with the decisions the Flames have got to make and how we none of us believe that they're going to be a full-on blow-it-up, right-to-the-studs rebuild, how comparable could that be for Calgary? The truth is I have no idea. I just think they're in such an interesting spot right now because they're coming off two big wins they beat two good teams in the lightning and the panthers swept a a two-game homestand played good hockey since the start of november and here we are talking about uh, them trading three of their best players it's and maybe more it's such an interesting spot they're in right now and uh, i think we would all agree that the flames can't let these guys walk away for nothing but is it fait accompli that uh there's no chance for them to sign one, two, or three of these guys and, and move forward with them. I guess that's uh, a question for Craig Conroy and one that the Flames general manager might not be able to answer right now. But such a, an interesting spot, a strange spot. And I think it's a difficult question to answer, Pat, because, A, we don't know for sure that they're going to go down that road, although um, some, maybe even most, seem convinced that they're going to. And number two... Um, what would they get in return? Would it be all futures? Would it be a combination of picks and prospects? So I think it's a difficult question for me to answer without having more information uh, and also knowing for sure that uh, they're going to trade their number one centerman in Elias Lindholm and two of their top three defensemen in Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev. And I think it's also a little bit different situation than the one the Predators were in last season because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the three players you mentioned mm-hmm. were all over the age of 30. Is that correct or incorrect? Sounds right. Yeah, I, I feel so like Janot is under 30. Well, that's not? right. They traded Tanner Janot oh, as Geno. well to Tampa Bay. I forgot yeah. about him. So, he got the but, but three of the four, yeah. And they, they got a massive haul for Janot. Yeah. Okay, yeah. If You know what? If they can make a trade like that one where you <laughs> acquire a former first-round pick and then get first, second, third, fourth, and fifth-round picks for one guy – you make that trade all day, every day. But I don't think that they're making that trade. That was a ridiculous yeah. trade that the Lightning were able to make because they had won two Stanley Cups and believed they were in a window to win another one and that Janot was potentially the player that could get them over the hump. And when you have a track record like Julian Brisebois has, you can make those types of trades. You can take those types of risks. But w- without knowing for sure that the Flames uh, either aren't interested in moving forward with, I would say, more Lindholm and Hannafin than Tanev. 
Um, and then vice versa, that those players aren't interested in potentially signing extensions with this team. It's a difficult question for me to answer. And then there's the other side of it. Okay, let's say they do move on from those three guys. What do they get in return? Are they getting younger NHL players that they can plug into their lineup right now that can help them win hockey games? Or are they getting futures in the way of picks and prospects? So tough one for me, fellas. Yeah, if the Calgary Flames are looking to go in an all-futures direction at the NHL trade deadline, then certainly this would be the blueprint. But you got to kind of wonder is the, what the Predators did at the deadline last year. Is that the rule, or are they the exception? Like, what other team, and I'm going off the top of my head here because I don't have one that pops to mind, was able to... St. Louis, in a, I think it was 2018. They're the other example. They okay. stayed competitive, did the same thing, stayed competitive, and then won the Stanley Cup the next year. Because what the Nashville Predators were able to do at the deadline and the, and the week leading up to it, because it really started February 25th when they moved Nino Niederreiter to the Winnipeg Jets. But they moved Niederreiter, Tanner Genoa, as we said, Matthias Ekholm, Mikhail Granlund, and somehow went 14-10-2 down the stretch from February onward, so the date of the first mm-hmm. major trade onward, to stay competitive in the uh, playoff race. I remember, and they had, I think Philip Forsberg was injured. They had another major yeah. key that was injured. Yeah. It was just baffling what they were able to do. I don't necessarily think that that should be the expectation of the Calgary Flames should they decide to move Lindholm, should they decide to move Hannafin, should they decide to move Tanev. I don't necessarily imagine a Calgary Flames team that's going to play over 500 points percentage hockey by moving those three players. But if I'm the Calgary Flames and I'm on the outside looking in in the weeks prior to the trade deadline, or even if they're flirting with a playoff spot, I'd be in favor of giving this Nashville Predators route a a look where you're moving it for all futures. And if the Flames are even tucked inside the playoff picture just slightly, I still go and look at the Nashville Predators and take that approach because I think that's what's best for the organization long term. Now, whether or not that's the situation that they're going to find themselves in whether that's the direction they're looking to go I, i'm like with you Wilsey. i don't have real great insight as to what's going on in craig conroy's office at the moment but it's hard to look at the haul for four players that the nashville predators got primarily futures outside of tyson berry and, and now they're the and now they're trigger. and now they're the first wild card holder as it stands on December nineteenth. Like that's a great piece of work for the national. And, and there's other things that go into the Preds. I mean, they went out. They they some really good targeted moves. They said goodbye to Deshane. Just were like, yep, you know what? You move on. He's in Dallas now. Johansson. They made the Johansson trade where you know basically Colorado got him for nothing, but that cleared out some cap space for him. Uh, they they brought in O'Reilly. They brought in Nyquist. Philip Forsberg remains one of the best goal scorers on the planet. Still have a top defenseman and they a still top have forward. Yossi, and they, they, they still have UC Saros between the pipes. I just The other example that I think is, is also in the mix is what Vancouver did as well. Vancouver was pretty pragmatic. Whether you believe they made the right choice or not, going Miller over Horvat. Looks great right made, now. It, it does. Uh, they made their choice, and then they said goodbye to Horvat, got a great return from the Islanders, used part of that return from the Islanders to bring in Ronick from Detroit. That's turned out to be a great move, and look where the Canucks are. And, and again, you know that's, that's another example of kind of pragmatic, intellectually honest, take stock of where you are right now moves, but doesn't mean you're necessarily throwing in the towel for the long term and, and committing yourself to X amounts of years of being near the bottom of a conference. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking about, guys, is that they 
Willsey, they may not have a choice. Like if if Hannafin, who we believe is the guy who backed away first from the contract that was on the table a few months ago, and Lindholm, who it, it feels like maybe the ship is most out to sea uh, in terms of him going elsewhere, and Tanev, if none of these guys want to resign, they might not have a choice. And so making those pragmatic moves and taking stock of where they are, making the right moves, you bring in uh, a certain haul, and maybe it is all futures that they bring in, but then they can turn those futures into something else before the trade deadline. And they can also open up space for Matt Coronado. And maybe Vladar gets traded and that opens it up a door for Wolf. And uh, another young player comes in and, and there's just more opportunity there. It puts a little bit more ownership on the guys who still stay here. And you make a couple of savvy moves between now and the beginning of next season. I just think it's a good lesson that you trade away pending unrestricted free agents. You get a futures return it still doesn't mean that you have to be bad for a requisite amount of time. You can make smart moves before the deadline, and you can make smart off-season moves, and you can get yourself to a different level and maybe a higher level quicker than a lot of people might have thought. And I think that Vancouver's a really solid example of that, and Nashville is a really solid example of that. Yeah, I think it's a, a different question, though, if you're asking me, you know, can the Flames trade these three guys and be competitive next season? I think uh, I'm more comfortable saying yes, because if they decide to flip some of the picks and prospects they get and, and try to be competitive again, I, I think that that's something that Craig Conroy could do. Uh, but I do think it would be difficult for the Flames to uh, trade again, whether he's played like their number one center or not, I guess is another conversation, but uh, a guy who for the last number of years has been their number one center in Elias Lindholm and two of their th- top three defensemen and Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev, can they trade those three guys and continue to be competitive this season? I, I think that's a tougher ask to be quite honest with you. I'm not saying that it, it wouldn't happen or couldn't happen, but I wouldn't expect it to happen. I think that, uh, Nashville was probably the exception to the rule last season as opposed to the actual rule. And you now the Predators are, are doing pretty well this season, but let's see where uh, everything is come uh, the middle of April when the Stanley Cup playoffs start. But uh, something else I was thinking about on the drive home from the game on Monday night is Chris Tanev, I think, has made it pretty clear that he is open to staying in Calgary and potentially finishing his career as a member of the Flames. What if someone made you a deal you couldn't refuse and you traded Chris Tanev to a team that considered themselves to be a Stanley cup contender. Could you re-sign him during the off season? What are you comfortable? Because for me, he's a culture setter for this team. He, he's a guy who, with the way he plays the game, got a career high, 10 block shots. I'm not sure the flames win that hockey game against the Panthers on Monday night without him. And I also wonder if they win one, two, or all three of the games on their last road trip where they had leads in the third period and let them slip away if they had their best defensive defenseman and their best penalty-killing skaters. So uh, there are so many question marks right now when it comes to this team, and uh, I guess most of them surround these pending UFAs. But it's just its so strange for me, fellows, because maybe it's just because it's, it's different than it's been during my 10 seasons calling games here. They're one point out of a playoff spot coming off a couple of big wins. They've got a four-game point streak, and you know, the conversation for most seems to surround these pending UFAs, and what can the Flames get for them? What would you all um, be comfortable with 
signing Chris Tanev to whether it's an extension or the um, uh, circumstance you just laid out there, Derek? What would you? What, what's a comfortable term for you for Chris Tanev, who turns 34 on Wednesday of this week? Yeah, happy uh, early birthday to Chris Tanev. Um, I I would be okay with giving him two or three years. Do you uh, again, think, depending on what the number is? Do you think that on the open market he could get? More than that, because I I absolutely do. I think I think he'll get four if he hits the unrestricted free agent market easy. Yeah, he might. Uh, again, it's tough for me to to put myself between the ears of thirty one other general managers. Uh, it's hard enough to do it with with the guy who uh, manages uh, the team here in Calgary, and we could see him on pretty much a daily basis. So I don't know. It, it, a lot of hypotheticals right now. It's hard for me to answer these questions with any sort of certainty. I am sort of of the mind of Derek where two to three, I could see myself stretching to three to get it done. I'd prefer two. Obviously, any GM would prefer a shorter term for a defenseman that's in his mid-30s. But I'm also like you, Pat. If he hits the open market, I can see multiple teams going, all right, we'll give you four years if he'll come join us. Toronto, Vancouver, I think multiple teams would be like, hey, we're willing to – we're willing to add an extra year to that to get you and and help us right now, and I just don't know if that's the right way to. I you could make a pretty salient argument to me, guys, that it would be a good idea for the Flames to do just that because of what you just talked about, Derek, in terms of the culture setter and uh, how much of a leader he is and all that type of stuff. So that's a pretty nuanced conversation on yeah. on top of everything because there's a lot of and. That, we we can maybe uh, save the second second straight second straight day. We're gonna push that second topic down the road, and that's fine. I'm um, I'm glad because I want to circle back. Just I did. just hold on, just hold on. Okay. Before I was just gonna say that there's the all three of them. If you take the the three players that are pending UFAs, the big high profile ones in a in a vacuum or a bubble. They're all pretty nuanced because I think there is a, a really interesting threshold or balance to strike about, okay, the value to the Flames of re-signing this player because of his ir- the irreplaceable nature on the roster or leadership or intangibles or all those types of things based on, and only the people in the war room know this, but the, the value that what you could get for them in a trade and that, that balance of striking which way the scales tilt the most and then making the call Vix as to going that way on the scales. That that's a fascinating conversation because I do think that there you can make an argument, a pretty nuanced one, that re-signing any one of them could be good for the flame yep. short and long term, just as much as you could about trading them. That's why it's such a a nuanced conversation and every one is kind of in a in a different category. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. The one thing I wanted to highlight is if you can start getting some of these Nashville Predator like returns on those three guys and you can even lump in a couple other pending unrestricted free agents, they won't necessarily go for the numbers that we saw the Nashville Predators, but suddenly you're also freeing up 31, 32 or 33 million dollars of cap space and we all know how desired you know, you have to use that cap space correctly. But we all know how valued cap space is. In fact, it's the only reason why the Calgary Flames went to the Vancouver Canucks on a Nikita Zadorov deal is because they didn't have to retain salary because they made the room for it. I just wonder what Craig Conroy can mm-hmm. do with all those assets and to Derek's point of, well, maybe they can use those assets to bring back players that will help them now. You have that. You have the cap space and you have a lot of futures to deal with. I'd just be curious to see mm-hmm. what you could do with that cap space along with those assets you've gotten back. Yeah. How did you come to those numbers? 
thirty plus million dollars in cap space. Well, as it stands right as it stands right now, they have fifty six million allotted to the salary cap next season, and it's going to rise to about eighty seven. Right, but I mean, let's say you're paying Noah Hannafin seven and a half, Elias no, Lindholm. I'm saying, I'm saying, when you, if you dealt them, uh, Willsey, not if you resigned them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. You're not going to have thirty million by bringing those guys back. <laughs> no, no. Um, and again, Noah Hannafin, um, he's such a good young defenseman. With the way he skates, I feel like he will age well. I think you could. Uh, jump to the conclusion that Elias Lindholm, as a Patrice Bergeron light, could potentially age well. Uh, Chris Tanev, there's more risk there because of the way he plays the game uh, with reckless abandon for his own body, blocking shots with every body part known to man. Um, but again, he's such an important part of the culture. I think about what Rasmus Anderson had to say about him and, and his importance to this team. And he's uh, a guy who sets a great example for, for young players. So, Craig Conroy is getting paid the big bucks to make these difficult decisions, and I'm sure they're going to be just that. Very difficult for the Flames general manager, especially if his team continues to play hard, which they've done since the start of November. They've won more than they've lost since then, and they've stayed in the playoff race. So, if they had fallen right out, I think it it becomes a little bit easier to make these moves, but we're talking about three core players here and guys who have helped the Flames win hockey games for a number of seasons. So we'll see where all of this goes, but uh, strange times around uh, the Flames right now, at least for me. And and feel free to uh, defer or not answer, but just because we're having the conversation and it's turned into a longer one than, than I anticipated in a, in a good way. Um, if you had your druthers on December 19th of 2023, with all you've seen from the team this season and uh, all you've seen from this kind of new core group since the beginning of last year, if you uh, had the choice of re-sign all three, so extend all three, trade all three, or somewhere in the middle on December 19th, what would you do? It's a hard question to answer because how much am I re-signing them for? How long am I re-signing them for? What could I get for them in a trade? Uh, I'm not letting them walk for nothing, I can tell you that much. Uh, That much I know right now. Uh, But beyond that, without knowing how much it would cost me to keep one, two or three of these players and what I could get in return for one, two or three of these players, it's just a really tough question for me to answer. But going out and finding a replacement for any one of them is going to be a challenge for the Flames. And if they do go down the the road of of trading them, then you're going to have to lean very heavily on your scouting staff to make sure that if you're bringing in players who have already been drafted, that you've got a, a really good idea of, of where their trajectory is. And if not, if you're going to trade them for picks, you're going to have to really lean on your amateur scouting staff to, to make the right picks. Because if they go in that direction, we might not know for a number of years, guys, how good or bad the trades were. But if it were up to me, if you held my feet to the fire and said, okay, you've either got to sign them or trade them, you can't be Switzerland and ride the fence. If the Flames want to get younger, I don't think that's a bad direction to go in. Mm-hmm. I would prefer they make the type of trades that we've seen the last couple of times that they've kind of been painted into a corner. So they got painted into a corner by Matthew Kachuk, and they made a trade where they brought in two NHL players, uh, a prospect who had already been drafted and they had uh, at least some intel on, 
and a first-round pick. That was a really good trade by Brad Treloving. And then Craig Conroy, in his first big move as, as new general manager, trades Tyler Toffoli. The, the two sides weren't going to come together on an extension, whether it was term or whether it was dollars. It wasn't going to work. But you trade him and you get a guy in Yegor Sharangovich who has turned into one of the best players on this team with the way he's played in the last month, month and a half. And you get a third-round pick, and uh, you buy a lottery ticket. So those are the types of trades that I would make if the Flames do decide to trade one or all of these guys. I really thought you were going to make us pick re-signing all three or trading all three with nothing in the middle. And in that respect, I would probably lean towards trading them and recouping some assets, depending where they are, depending how competitive they are. Um, But I would look on an individual basis for all three. And to Willsey's point, we don't know the term, we don't know the dollars. But if I could get, I, I could see arguments for re-signing each of them on their own, as opposed to just doing a blanket statement. Do you trade them all or do you sign them all? I and, a, and just to wrap this up, sorry, yeah. Pat. If I'm trading for Elias Lindholm or Noah Hannafin, I think I would have to to feel pretty good about my chances to re-sign them because you're going to pay a premium for those two players who you could argue are in the prime of their careers. If I'm trading for Chris Tanev, I could probably wrap my head around him being a rental. Let's say the Maple Leafs trade for him. With their situation, their salary cap situation, with them having to re-sign William Nylander, who's been their best player this season, could, could they trade for Chris Tanev and then extend him? I'm not sure they could. Right. Yeah. So maybe the Flames could get him back. Who knows? I... uh just as we wrap up, on December 19th, I'm in the trade all three camp, but that's <laughs> a very floating and fluctuating type thing. I think it can, yeah. I can be very easily swayed depending on what happens over the next little while on all three of them. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I am on December 19th. But talk to me on January 19th, and that could be very, very different. That was, uh, that was fun. Times. I'll... Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll eventually we'll get to that second topic that we didn't hit on <laughs> on Monday or Tuesday. I swear to you, we'll get to there eventually. Um, okay, thank you, Wilsey. Have a, a good rest of your Tuesday. Okay, guys, have a good night. He is Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers, and my name is Pat Steinberg. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll eventually we'll get to that second topic that we didn't <laughs> hit on on Monday or Tuesday. I swear to you, we'll get to there eventually. Um, okay, thank you, Wilsey. Have a, a good rest of your Tuesday. Okay, guys, have a good night. He is Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. And my name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. And that'll wrap us up on our, uh, by the way, thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers. That'll wrap us up on our Daily Flames Roundtable, which is brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 Formatic Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.